Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and let's go right to the phones. And joining us, as he does every week at this time, except when he's goofing off and gets one of his guys to join us, Nate Zelinski. See, I, I got you a little bit that time, Nate. You did, you know, and honestly, I think we know that the reason sometimes I don't call in is because we know the true leader of the show is Karen, and we know that if I don't have good service, I will get in trouble with Karen. So those are the days that I have somebody else call in to avoid you and I both getting in trouble, you know what I mean? And you do not want to get in trouble with Karen. (laughs) No. (laughs) I mean, you could get me and you mad at him all day long, and the consequences of that are so mild compared to getting her mad at you that, I mean, you know... I feel like I've done good of knowing when my limit is to be like, you know what? I yeah. should probably have somebody else do the show. Yeah. Well, now you are here. and What's going on, my friend? You know, number one, I have to wish everybody a happy National Ruger Day. It's 1022. Uh, being a part of the Ruger team, we kind of celebrate today being October 22nd. Uh, there are more Ruger 1022s on the market than I think in any other firearm uh, on earth. So uh, it's Ruger Day. So excited about that. So that's kind of uh, some big news. Uh, other than that, Terry, we're kind of, uh, kind of in that combination. We keep talking about kind of, you know, taking advantage of everything that's happening. Um, and we're slowly starting to wind down on some of the opportunities. And that's one of the things that, you know, it's sad to see some of the bite windows leave, uh, but it's also kind of nice to kind of hone in on some of the others. So in the fishing world, you know, we are down now to, to roughly, you know, eight, nine, 10 days left in the mountain boating season. Uh, you know, so spinnies are already closed, but at the end of this month, Antero is going to shut down for boating. 11 mile shuts down for boating. So we lose a lot of the boating up in the high country. Uh, which is sad to see because we have some tremendous pike fishing going on. We have some tremendous trout fishing going on. Uh, but with that, we can kind of, you know, focus a little bit more on the other opportunities that exist. You know, the walleye bite's been incredible, uh, and it's only going to continue. So as we lose the mountains, obviously we can put a little bit more of our focus onto those walleyes, onto the big smallmouth moving out on structure. Uh, so exciting about that. And then obviously we're kind of still in pretty much full-blown hunting season. Um, we had a fantastic first rifle. Um, and it was funny because I was talking to some other hunters uh, in the last couple of days and we are so dramatic with what we want and what we wish for. You know, as a hunter, you always want the ultimate season. You always want the ultimate weather. And for first rifle, all I pray for, all I want is hot dry weather. So leading up to first rifle, all I want is hot and dry. And we got it, Terry. So by having that hot, dry condition, it continued the rut. So opening day of first rifle last Saturday, the bulls were absolutely screaming. So we had full rut activity. Uh, a young hunter that I've been mentoring had the opportunity to harvest a giant bull here in Colorado on public land. So that was really neat to see. I had some great rut activity hunting with my father last week. So overall, across the board, the numbers are coming in, you know, both from CPW as well as like I work with Steve's Meat Market. Um, and it is was a, a tremendous first rifle. So we love seeing that so huge opportunity there but now that first rifle's over once those rifles started going off hunters were in the woods 
we started really on about Monday, Tuesday, uh, started seeing some of those bigger bulls leave the herds. I saw quite a few bulls uh, on Thursday, Friday of this week leave the herd. So we are now seeing some of the bulls and cows separate. The younger bulls, the spikes are still staying with the cows, but a lot of those really big mature bulls are leaving the cows now. Uh, and with that said, now that our, our second rifle starts on October 29th, um, you know, that's going to be the first rifle season for deer. That's going to be your second rifle season for elk. Now that we're approaching second, now we want to take all the wishes that we had for nice weather and we want to throw that out the door. Now we want snow. We want cold. We want all Mother Nature can bring uh, approaching that season. Because, again, right now when those big bulls separate, they go kind of hang solo. They kind of hang in the timber. We want snow to, to drive those animals out of that timber. We want snow to get the, the deer starting to think about rut activity. We want those deer to start spending more time on their feet during the day, less time bedding. Um, so as we approach this next rifle season, uh, you know, second rifle combined, not necessarily talking so much about the Eastern Plains, but more of those mountain units, we want that cold snow uh, to really enhance what, what that season's going to bring. And, you know, right now we're watching it. Um, we'll kind of come to everybody next weekend with kind of what's happening as we approach that but right now i think everything's looking good uh you know we see some cold weather approaching we have snow thursday which is fantastic uh so i think everything's looking to to be an absolutely incredible season here terry well you know and the weather has been falling in place for the hunting like that it's been just tremendous i know we're going to move on to fishing and the transition in the mountains in fishing has been pretty good but the transition on the on the front range and the plains has been a little different but are you, what are you expecting with the elk? Should I, I get questions all the time. You know, people love to call. The elk red is for all practical purposes over. Should people put those calls away now? You know, Terry, it's a funny thing that you said that because I cleaned out my truck yesterday morning, uh, you know, Friday morning after that first rival hunt, you know, restocked the game bags, cleaned up my packs from packing meat, um, and I took my bugle tube uh, out of my pack. You know, I still have a cow call in my pocket because I think it's always good to have a cow call. If, you know, you're hunting a, a cow or a bull, you know, and that bull or cow is just about to step into the timber, you can throw some cow calls out there. It'll stop them and they'll look giving you time to shoot, you know, before they go over a hill. So I think having a cow call in your pocket is great for a stopping mechanism, but as far as the vocalization, the bulls bugling to give away their location, uh, that I would say is pretty much done. Uh, so I officially took the bugle tube out of my pack. I am no longer using it to locate animals. Um, I really saw very minimal bugling this last week. Um, you know, if you have like the private land, the Estes Park, the Evergreen, those bulls are still ripping hard. Uh, but the natural forest, the public land stuff, uh, we definitely saw a drastic decrease in bugling just in the last two, three days. Uh, so I think by the time second rifle rolls around, you know, a week from today, um, I really think a lot of that opportunity is going to be gone. So from, from now on, I am not. Sometimes it can even be a hindrance. If you go out there, second rifle and, you know, let off a couple bugles, there's a good chance that those bulls are going to be caught on. They're going to say, hey, that's not right. There's nothing happening out now. And it actually might be a deterrent. It might push those animals uh, into the trees. So we're, we're no longer bugling, Terry. That's a great question, though. Uh, and I think we're definitely 
you know, we're keeping a cow call handy, more as a stopping mechanism, get the animals to stay still a little bit longer to, to make that shot. Uh, but we're definitely not going into it with that calling opportunity or the location opportunity that we were during first rifle. So I think if you're approaching second rifle on the elk side, um, I think you're doing two things. I think number one, if you have a bull tag, and especially if you're looking for that more mature bull, I think you're looking for smaller areas that those bulls are going to be in. So instead of the big meadow, they're going to be in that real small meadow closer to that darker timber. They're going to be in slightly higher elevation. Those bulls are separated from the cows. They're in their recovery stage. So they're basically taking it easy, trying to regain strength, food, water from obviously a very long, you know, what has been more than likely a six month rut. Um, So they've been working cows. They're exhausted. They're kind of taking it low key. So again, I look up in elevation and I look for those little nooks and and crannies, you know, the smaller draws, uh, the areas they can kind of, you know, stay out of the hustle and bustle and and just kind of have their quiet space. So that's how I'm looking for those bigger bulls. On the cow front, we're seeing them get into those larger herds, you know, as opposed to where we've been in a lot smaller groups, we're seeing the cows starting to gather. I wouldn't say they're in their true winter herds yet, but we're definitely seeing them start to gather a little bit. So these cows are in, in slightly larger groups. So I look for areas that can, you know, sustain and hold those larger groups. You know what I mean? So you're looking for, you know, very large grassy hillsides. Um, you're looking for areas and migration, you know, routes that can hold those larger groups of animals. You're looking for bedding zones that can hold those larger groups of animals. So on the cow front, really small bulls, I'm looking for areas that can kind of house that bigger group. Uh, on the bull front, especially on the mature side, I'm looking for those smaller nooks and crannies. That's how I'm going to create that success. And then on the deer side, again, obviously it's opener for, for you know, most of the deer hunting in the mountains. Um, you're just now starting to kind of look for those animals, starting to spend more time, not necessarily like with those but you're starting to see them kind of hang out. So I'm seeing a lot of those bigger bucks dropping out of the high country and starting to kind of hang on that middle ground. They're not on the sage flats. They're not on the big open country yet, but they're definitely start to kind of be around. Um, we're definitely seeing a lot of that nocturnal activity. So first thing in the morning is when we're seeing most of our bucks, the last light we're seeing most of those bucks. And this is one of those things that we have to talk about, Terry. Watching hunters over the last couple of years, we all see this, and I never want to encourage somebody to do something that they're not comfortable with. But on the deer side especially, we're seeing these bucks come out literally in the last half hour of light. Um, and even the elk on the, on the more mature bull side a lot of this stuff is very low light hunting. So, you know, it's that first half hour in the morning that is critical. And then those bulls are going in the trees. Those bucks are going in the trees or bedding down. In the last half hour, we're seeing a lot of activity. Even during the first rifle, I can't tell you how many hunters I saw getting back to their truck, you know, in that premium time. You know, they're hiking out of the woods an hour before, the, you know, it gets dark, half hour before it gets dark. Um, again, I don't want to say stay out in the dark if you're not comfortable with that. Uh, you know, if your physical ability you want to be back to the truck by the time it gets dark. By no means am I pushing things, but for the utmost success, really at the second rifle, hunting those shoulder hours, you know, the first half hour of, of legal light, the last half hour of legal light, that's how you're going to a lot of times find success in those more mature bulls on those bigger deer because uh, they're spending so much time nocturnal. So really focusing and staying out there. If you get bored, 
don't get out in the woods until, you know, four or five o'clock. I think so many hunters, you know, get bored hanging out in camp or they get anxious. So they get out in the woods at one, two, or they spend all day in the woods. And then, you know, by the time the sun starts to get a little low, they're like, man, I'm cold. I'm hungry. Let's go. Let's go back to camp. And they leave early, you know, stay at camp, get your rest, naps, eat your bigger meal. And then, you know, really focus on those shoulder time zones. That's going to help you help you a lot more successful this coming second rifle. Real quick, because I want to have a couple minutes to do fishing and we're running out of time, but how important, we've had a really dry, warm year. How important is water right now in your big game? You know, Terry, they're not utilizing water as much as they were during the rut phase. Uh, you know, during the rut phase, the bulls are obviously in need of water more than the cows, but they don't want to leave the cows, so they're pushing their cows to water. So during the rut phase, I would say it is a, a much a decision maker of how I approach my day. This time of year, we're not seeing it as critical as the rut, but obviously they're still drinking. Um, I mean, I see some of these ruddy bulls drinking multiple times a day, hitting a water source. Um, you know, when we start getting a little bit later now, if they have water readily available, they'll drink it at will. If it's a situation where they have to migrate to water, they have to travel to it, um, you know, we're seeing it once a day type thing as opposed to multiple times a day during that rut. So we are seeing the, the overall influx of water go down just a little bit. Now it does look like we're going to have snow, you know, not full statewide, but fairly statewide on Thursday. Uh, and the second we get snow on the ground, those animals typically will get enough moisture uh, from that, from the grass, just the snow that they're going to have to where hunting a water source, I think by second rifle, is going to go downhill. So I, I think with the snow coming in that forecast, I'm not as focused on water near as much as I was uh, during that rut activity. So rut, water is not necessarily on my game plan uh, when planning my second hunt, my second rifle hunt. All right, we got a couple minutes left. We're going to get cool, cooler weather, front range, especially the walleyes and even the bass and wipers and crappies. Really, we've seen fish all over the place. We haven't seen that concentration where we go after them with the jigging wraps or the jigging spoons. We've seen it in some places. Are we finally going to see that transition? I think so, Terry. And honestly, I hate to say it, I love the slower transition. We talk about that in the spring. I'm not a fan of the big fast change. I know a lot of people love the quick change because a lot of times it's going to, you know, have the opportunity to possibly have kind of a shad kill, uh, things like that. But I think any time your fish can do a slower transition into season, I think it makes them more comfortable. It's easier for anglers to stay with the bite instead of one weekend finding them here, the next weekend you have to start a whole new pattern. I like the slower transition, so it's been great for that. Um, with that being said, you're right. Uh, some of the fisheries that are just huge influx of bait fish, we are seeing that jig and wrap, that blade bait, that really reactionary fishing spoons. Uh, but in places like Chatfield, you know, where our shad population is lesser this year, we're still on a live bait bite. We're still catching a ton of fish on night crawlers, um, which is very odd. I can't tell you the last time I was fishing October with live bait um, and out producing a lot of the reactionary bites. So it's just kind of a different year. Uh, but, but so far, it's been good. But I do think with the colder water, temperatures we are going to see uh, a little bit more gathering of that bait fish tightening that bait fish school up 
condensing them in a certain zone in the water column. And that is where the, the reactionary baits are going to have a, a bigger, you know, influx coming up. So I think as we start going to say a 10 day forecast, I think within the next 10 days, we will start to see things become a more traditional fall bite. Uh, so I do think we kind of anticipate that coming uh, with that, like Chatfield in particular, a lot of our bass are still shallow, still on the shoreline type stuff. Usually it's when that water is, you know, below the 55 degree mark when we see those fish make a transition from a crowded forage to a heavy bait fish forage. So I do think as well in the next 10 days, we're going to see our smallmouth dropping into deeper water. Uh, and that always brings on a really fun, you know, spooning style bite for those bass. So I do anticipate that at you know, your Chatfields, your Pueblos, your Boyds, uh, seeing those bass drop deeper. So that should be exciting as well. All right. Last question. If you were going fishing tomorrow or Monday, where would you go? I'll tell you, Terry, I think jumping up to 11 mile while it's still open, you know, the boat docks are open until the end of the month. Um, you can do a combination right now at 11 mile that is pretty awesome. You could go fish the inlet. So you could go fish out in front of Sucker's Cove, uh, you know, Cross Creek, that type area at 11 mile. You can keep your boat in six to 10 feet of water. And we are seeing a lot of browns uh, coming out of the dream stream, wrapping up their spawn um, and some very big fish. So some giant browns at 11 mile coming out of the dream stream. We're catching a lot of kokanee salmon sliding into the dream streams of spawn. So we got browns coming out. We got kokanee going in. Uh, so that bite is fantastic. If you step out just a little bit deeper water, that 12 to 18 foot at the inlet, those weeds are just now starting to collapse. And we have a tremendous northern pike bite. So we're throwing big swim baits in that rainbow trout pattern, big stick baits in that rainbow trout pattern, and we're catching some giant pike. So that opportunity is awesome. You can slide down to like Hobart Point, Witcher, or, uh, Witcher's Cove, kind of that whole southeast stretch of the reservoir, and we're seeing a ton of big rainbows. A lot of people saw uh, Larry Falk's post this week. He caught some giant rainbows. So 11 mile in one day, giant pike, giant browns, kokanee, rainbows. Uh, it's definitely a place to hit right now while we're open for boating. All right, my friend, we will talk to you next week. If people want we'll talk to you. Me, information on all the things you do, it's tightlineoutdoors.com and social media, right? That's it, Tightline Outdoors, and happy Ruger Day, Terry. All right, thank you. I owned a bunch of those 1022s. Great guns. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you again soon. Nate Zielinski, trying to keep Karen happy, as always. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, the folks from Jacks are going to join us, and we're going to talk about the availability of ice fishing gear. You know, the last couple of years has been tough. We'll find out how that's going and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jacks Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear and 104.3 The Fan. Speaking of Jack's, let's go out to uh, Jack's West in Loveland, and joining us is Trent Budish. Good morning, Trent. Morning, Terry. How are you doing today? You know, I'm doing good. I'm, in, I'm enjoying this. I'm going to enjoy, when I get done with the show, this last uh, sunshiny, warm day. Oh, we'll get more. We always get them all the way through the year. But the weather's going to get more seasonal. And, you know, boat ramps are starting to close in the mountains. The water's cooling. And you and I are going to talk ice fishing. And people are probably going, it's 70 degrees, you know. But it'll get on as sooner than we think. And I know you're an avid ice angler. And the last few years after COVID, uh, and it wasn't just jacks. It was every outlet around fishing gear, hunting gear, and ice fishing gear especially was tough to come by. 
people were sold out very early. So I thought I'd talk to you. We'll get a feeling for how you see things going, what you've got going in, and maybe a few of the places you like to ice fish. First of all, are you starting to get your ice fishing gear into the store? Oh, yeah. We've been receiving a few large shipments over the past couple of weeks, and we're starting to get pretty well stuck, which has been a nice change. Oh, it really is. So, of course, we don't know if it's going to continue, but right now let's start and go through some of the things people might like. You know, obviously you need a rod and reel. We'll get to that in a minute. But one of the things that makes ice fishing so comfortable up nowadays is the use of portable shelters. How are you guys looking there? Are you getting shelters in? Oh, yeah, most definitely. We've got a few different shelters in right now, all by Eskimo, but we've got the Quick Fish 2 and 3 as well as the Fat Fish. And we've got a pretty good supply of those. They've been coming in, and we have a little bit left over from last year. So we're sitting pretty comfortable right now. Now, on shelters, I like the flip-over shelter, but there's been a big trend to go to what's called the hub-type shelter where people kind of gather in larger groups and they or they have numbers of holes in one shelter, and uh, they kind of fish, and sometimes they'll even spread out from those shelters and go back and forth. Are you seeing – are you – stocking up on both small and large shelters or he seems to be leaning in one direction um right now we're sitting pretty heavy on the uh the quick fish two and three which are both pop-ups but the fat fish is kind of a hybrid it's almost a a pop-up hub style shelter um so hopefully we'll be seeing some more of the hub styles here coming up shortly because i know when i go out I, i really enjoy bringing a few people out with me and making it into kind of a gathering yeah, you kind of, uh, you and I talked earlier, and on the shelter side, um, when the first um, flip-over flip type shelters came out, kind of revolutionized ice fishing because people used to go out and they didn't, they'd have big, both of us being from Minnesota, we know that they had the big heavy shelters, you move with the truck or you sat outside on a pail and you got pretty cold. And then with the small portable shelters, people were able to move around and follow the fish, very much like being in a boat, but... I think even especially out west here where we have trout that kind of cruise through and maybe we don't need to be moving as much, we're starting to see those hub-type shelters. And a lot of it is because of what you said, because ice fishing can be a real camaraderie-type activity, can't it? Oh, most definitely. Some of my favorite memories are getting the family together and uh, sitting out on the ice, five or six of us just hanging out and talking and pulling in some fish. Where do you like to go? I know you like to go early. Some of the early things, I think you mentioned you like to go up to the Red Feathers area. Oh, yeah. Red Feather area is definitely one of my favorites. Uh, typically, we'll hit Dowdy and then uh, Low Country. Once we finally do get some ice down here, uh, you know, I'll be hitting Lawn Hagler Reservoir or uh, even Boyd Lake. Yeah, all of those can prove. You know, Red Feathers is a great place for a somebody who just wants to go catch fish. You don't normally get a lot of big fish there, but they're usually cooperative. You can get a number of them. Uh, later on in the show, we're going to be talking about how to keep and cook some of those fish, that those stalker size that you want to take home. But if you're going to go ice fishing, sometimes action is almost more important than big fish just because it keeps you going, don't you think? Oh, most definitely. I mean, when you're sitting out in that house and everything's real quiet, the only thing to break the monotony sometimes is reeling them in. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the other equipment you've got coming in. We talked about shelters. What about um, you got to have a way to make a hole in the ice. Are you guys stocked up on, on augers, and do you have both power and hand augers? 
Oh, yeah, we've got quite a wide selection of augers in right now. Uh, majority of them are going to be Eskimo. We've got six-inch hand augers, eight-inch hand augers. Uh, we've got a few different gas augers as well as uh, some of the newer technology with the battery-powered augers and the drill chuck augers. What type of price range are we looking at for, you know, a hand auger all the way up to a state-of-the-art electric auger? What's the price range there? Uh, you're looking at a pretty big price difference. Um, when starting out, you know, the hand auger is definitely going to be the cheapest, uh, coming in at about $79. And when you go towards the gas-powered or the battery-powered augers, you're looking upwards of about $400. But, boy, that technology has really come along and you can drill so many holes with it now, and you're not, you know, I mean, gas, a lot of people still like gas, but that electric technology is is really taking over. And you say you're pretty well stocked on augers right now? Oh, uh, yes, sir. We've got quite the selection going right now, and we've got pretty good numbers of all of them. All right, that sounds great. Then, of course, you need a rod and a reel. Um, you know, you could go ice fishing with your rod and reel from summer, but it's cumbersome. You can't make the presentations. Typically, you may have heavier line than you need, and you can't get close enough to the hole. And if you are if you are in a shelter, of course, and you don't have room for that big rod, you have a pretty good selection of rods and reels. They ran out pretty early in the last few years. How is that looking? Oh, we're looking pretty good on rods and reels right now. Um, we've got probably five or six different brands coming in right now, everything from Eagle Claw all the way up to Microtech, so you've got a pretty good price range. And uh, one thing I always tell people starting out is if you don't want to spend the money on a good ice rod, the uh, little kid Spider-Man rods always tend to work out pretty well. And then if people come in, what kind of what kind of price range are we looking at from rods and reels? Where do they start? And, of course, you can spend as much as you want. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I think definitely on our lower end, we're looking anywhere from about 11 to $12 or so. And then uh, once you start getting into the Microtech and some of the tickle sticks, you're looking at about 45 to $50 or so. I think the biggest mistake people make in an ice fishing rod is, first of all, they, they'll tend to get one that's Unless you're fishing deep for big lake trout or you're going after big pike, they tend to get one that's too stiff. And then they'll fish with lighter line, and that rod doesn't protect that line. The things an ice fishing rod has to do is it has to protect the line, so it has to have enough give so that if any size fish hits, it doesn't put immediate strain. But then you need enough backbone to set a hook and land the fish. But, you know, you can move up. You can get started fairly inexpensively. You can get an ice fishing rod and put your summer reel on it if you want and get started and then move up as you see the need or want to get to more sophisticated equipment. And last and least, what about lures? Uh, things like jigging wraps, spoons, small jigs, even live bait. How are you guys doing there? Oh, we're doing very well right now. Um, thankfully, our store actually just got some, uh, got our minnow tank set up. So we're able to start putting out fat heads and shiners, which, uh, especially in the low country, tend to be pretty popular. Um, we've got some buckshot spoons from Northland that have came in that, uh, look pretty interesting. And of course you've always got the classic, uh, tungsten Arctic jigs. And those are coming from, uh, Eagle Claw. All right. So it sounds like you're pretty well stocked. Have you gotten any indication as to whether you'll be continuing to get, or is this just an early shipment? Do you think people need to get, I think 
you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I would tend to tell people to get out early and get what you want now, but do you have any feel for what's going to happen? Um, unfortunately, I, I'm thinking this is just an early shipment, um, but the way that things have been coming in lately, uh, we're getting a lot of backstop coming in from orders from, you know, seven, eight months ago or so. So hopefully the trend continues and we can keep getting some gear in, but always err on the safe side and stock up when you can, especially with some of these sales that are going to be coming up for uh, uh, Veterans Day and everything else coming up. Yeah, with all your sales going on, and the ice isn't as far away as you think, folks. Um, a month from now, we might be out on the ice. So uh, and it'll, get your gear now, get ready, go through it, check it out. Trent, thanks for joining us and getting us up to date on the equipment. Of course. Thank you for having me, Terry. You bet. Trent Budish from the Loveland West Store. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, Chad Lachance is going to join us, and we're going to talk about when do you harvest some fish, is the fall a good time? And once you do harvest some, how do you keep them and prepare them? All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones. <clears throat> Joining us, he's been one of our longest contributors, even was the first guy to... Uh, ever host the show when I wasn't here, Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. I'm not sure I'm familiar with Beastie Boys for your bumper music, but uh, hey, I'm all for it. <laughs> well, we're doing some studio changes, so we don't have all the computers available, so they're filling in with what they can. You know, you can't have Wickstrom <laughs> and Dobrith for every bumper, even though it's, it's, the, public, it's the public's favorite, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Well, you know, Terry, uh, not to jump in, but I'm, I'm at Horseshoes right now. I'm outside, and it is a unbelievably gorgeous fall day. And uh, the temperature is great. A little bit of breeze on the water. A uh, lot of, obviously, the fall colors and everything. Deer all over the place. It's, uh, it's the kind of day that makes me... Uh, Maybe call me old school, but the first thing I think of is what can we bring home to eat? It's just the kind of day that, uh, you know, you just think about harvesting and eating food if you're an outdoorsman and everybody's thinking hunting season, right? And, uh, and myself included, I've already been out. We've already harvested and, and processed some antelope and I'm heading out at the end of the week to go deer hunting as well and I'll be gone for a while. But, uh, but I'm a fisherman too and this is also my favorite time of year to harvest fish because of one key reason. One, the, the fact that the water temps have cooled enough that the quality of the fish is better than it would normally be. And we're talking front range type stuff, not high altitude, you know, necessarily. So the water temperatures start cooling down and the, the quality of the fish you get when you harvest them now is good. And the other thing about it is they've been eating bait fish all this last couple of months, heavily focused on bait fish. And so they're fattened up. They have a high fat content going into winter. And that doesn't maybe sound good to some listeners, but the fattier a fish is, in a lot of cases, the better quality that meat's going to be. And so for those two reasons, this is my favorite time of year to harvest some fish. Well, you know, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, we get some people that they're very purists. They never harvest the fish. You and I aren't in that school um, because that's not always the best way to manage and maintain a fishery anyway. And eating some fish should always be part of the equation as long as you understand the impact you're having on that particular fishery. 
Absolutely, and it's, it comes down to, to a concept that you and I both believe in a lot, and we've talked about a lot over the years, and that's selective harvest. And selective harvest, uh, it's not just, okay, we don't eat the big ones. That's not necessarily the case. It could be that this fishery can't sustain any harvest, while this other fishery could sustain a whole bunch of harvest based on the population dynamics and things like that. At the end of the day, though, for me, a lot of it just comes down to species because if it's a naturally occurring species in that system that's not stocked, then I'm more careful about what I'm willing to harvest. If it's a heavily stocked species or a very, very prolific species, then I'm less careful and I'm more inclined to go ahead and harvest a fair number of them. So the obvious one that comes to mind for me right now is stocker trout. And the state has been stocking them all over the place. They just stocked Boyd the other day. They're stocking these trout all over. And, and some listeners are going to be like, oh, those are yucky. Don't eat them. Don't eat them. Well, I just did six of them that I brined in a 5% salt solution. I scored them, left them whole, scored them, did them in a 5% salt solution, which is roughly three quarters of a cup of salt to a gallon of water. Put some sugar in there uh, and a little bit of citric acid or lemon juice and let them brine for like six hours and then throw them on the smoker until they're 145 degrees internally and then shredded the meat, pulled the meat, shredded the meat and made fish dip with it and it is absolutely fantastic. So, Maybe a stalker trout isn't wonderful as just, you know, straight cooked in a skillet and put on your plate, but it could still be absolutely delicious. And by the way, I took that smoke dip to a little dinner party, and it's, so it's an excellent thing to share as we go into the fall season. But the, the trout that they stock is stocked by the gajillion. You're not going to hurt anything by keeping some of those, and I highly recommend it. But another one along the trout family that they don't stock is the little brookies, and this is an absolutely exquisite time to be in the hills. And those little brookies are delicious, just the opposite of the stockers. They might not be huge, but, man, they taste good, and you can eat a bunch of them, and you're not going to hurt anything. If you if you want 20-inch brookies in your system, you need to take out about half of the 10-inchers, and you will get to that case because they do overpopulate. But, again, another one, and those are – you can do the most simple preparation with those, a little bit of salt, white pepper, and lemon juice, and, and put them in cast iron or – over a fire, roast them, whatever. They're absolutely wonderful table fare. Uh, and I think you'll probably agree with me on that. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, a couple things come to mind. One is, you know, we've talked over and over, you and I both are into cooking quite a bit about how to prepare them. But I think a lot of it goes back to when you catch some fish, whether it's a stock trout or a, a, a walleye out of Boyd or, or horse tooth, or whether it's these brook trout up in the mountains, how how you prepare them, how you keep them, and how quickly you cook them all really influence how they're going to taste. 100%. And, uh, you know, that's the same with any game, in my opinion. I mean, I, we were just out harvesting antelope, and, and man, you got you got to get them, you got to get them field dressed and skinned in minutes, or they're not very good. If you, if you leave that skin on that thing and go run around showing to your buddies, it's not going to taste very good. They have to cool down fish. Same thing. If I know that I'm going with the, it, with the, you know, for the purpose of harvesting fish, let's say I was going to run to Boyd Lake and catch a bunch of white bass and bring some of them home. I won't even put them in the lag well if I'm going to do that. I would rather bring a cooler with ice in it, and then I will immediately bleed the fish, cut the gills out, bleed the fish, and throw them right on ice. And that will cool the meat down immediately. It will stop any buildup of any sort of acid in their body or anything like that. 
So if I know I'm going to harvest them, I want to have ice available. And again, I want to bleed them as fast as I can. It doesn't matter what species of fish it is. You'll end up with a much cleaner fillet that way. And, uh, and it's, you just cut the gills or what's known as the isthmus, uh, the bottom of the, where the, where the uh, gills come together at the bottom of the jaw, cut that out. The fish will bleed out very quickly and put it on ice. And that will be a really good, way to do it. The problem that I see with keeping fish that I see people do is they put them on a stringer and throw them in the edge of the lake. And if you're in a front range reservoir, the water temperature is still 60 some degrees. Uh, it's not, the fish isn't going to stay alive and he's not going to get cold. And so that's part of the reason that for something like a stalker trout really gets a bad rap because if you go catch one of those at Boyd Lake right now, put it on a stringer for four hours and then bring it home, it's not going to be that good. So your better bet is to go ahead and bleed it and get it on ice if you can. If I'm in the boat, I might put them in the live well. That's my second choice. But for sure, it's always better to get them cold as fast as you can. Well, and the thing with the cooler with some ice, whether you're in a boat or on shore, a small cooler uh, isn't that hard to take with. And you can get quite a few stalker trout in a very small cooler and keep them there. And you're so right about just instantly getting them on ice and how that takes care of them. And, you know, when we talked about selective harvest, there is no better selective harvest. Those are put-and-take fish. They're not put there to survive, although some will carry over and get quite large. But they're put there to be harvested, to be part of the experience. And you should do that. You mentioned the white bass. At Boyd, too, there's another one that uh, they really, really just need to take advantage of and go ahead and eat some. You know, one that I think gets overlooked at times, and I'm very careful about understanding the lake, but if you can take the right size smallmouth out of a lake, a lot of times that can benefit the lake, too. Absolutely, and and I've said for years here at Horse Tooth, now one thing I want to throw out, I'm not advocating eating a bunch of fish out of Horse Tooth because of mercury content, and people can look that up on their own. But uh, if, if I could keep a bunch of, of 10 to 12-inch smallmouth, that is no different than keeping a bunch of really big bluegills, which nobody thinks anything about. And so we've had guys say, well, I'm not eating those little ones. Well, I'm not eating a big one because he's full of mercury, and that doesn't fit with selective harvest either because those are very old fish. By the time you deal with a smallmouth here uh, that's, that's you know 18 inches long, that, that's a 15-year-old fish, and that's not something you necessarily want to eat. That is not you know, selective harvest. The, the rancher doesn't eat the prize bull. But those 10, 11, 12, 13 inchers, delicious. And uh, same thing, place like Pueblo, same thing. Chatfield, very easy to harvest some of those. You're not going to hurt anything to do that. Yeah. And along the lines of walleye, same thing. I'm going to eat my mid-sized fish. I'm not going to eat my giants. And I'm not going to eat my babies. I'm going to eat my 16 to 20-inch fish. That's the size that it provides the best quality of flesh for one. And it's the fat part of the population bell curve uh, as far as harvesting stuff. Just be very careful of the regulations where you're fishing. We certainly aren't telling you to not obey the regulations of any particular lake. That's just our personal management philosophy and how we feel. Got about a half a minute left, maybe a minute. If you're going fishing tomorrow when the weather's going to be a little cooler, where would you go? Well, I mean, I'm getting in a car and going to North Park. Um, this is the time of year that I love North Park or South Park. It is absolutely exquisite. Uh, the conditions should be great. You guys should really be able to get up there and smash a bunch of fish. And it's an excellent time to fish very, very aggressively. If you want to catch the Browns that are in their spawn phase this time of year, and I want to point out they will not spawn successfully in there. They are going through the motions, but they are not technically able to spawn. Uh, but if you want to get some of those, a, a big jerk bait's a really good call, something like a big hit stick. If you want to get the rainbows, 
it's hard to be either tube jig or marabou jig, and there's some big honking rainbows that are running around with those browns eating the eggs. So that's a good call. Uh, that's probably where I would go right now because that fishery is a little farther along, and I think the front-range fisheries need a, another week or two to cool down some more before they get really good. Yeah, I think so, too. I think this next week, as cool as it's going to be, for both hunters and fishermen, oh, by the end of this week, I think we're going to see some drastic changes, but changes for the better as far as results. Yeah, yeah, and Halloween's my favorite day of the year to hunt. Has that I've had incredible success over the last 20 years of hunting on Halloween, and I'll be in the field on Halloween. I'm looking forward to it. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, and good luck on your hunting. All right. Thanks very much, Terry. You guys have a great week. You bet. Chad Lachance. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wicksham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. All right, you're listening to Terry Wicksham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to wrap things up. A couple things I want to make sure, you know, we talked about keeping some fish, uh, Kokanee are spawning in a lot of places right now, and I love to go fishing with a fly rod or a conventional rod, and they're great. The ones you catch on the spawn maybe aren't the greatest table fare, but for smoking, they're just fantastic. But if you don't want to go fishing at a lot of the spawning sites, like the Roaring Judy Hatchery and some of the others where they gather the CPW gathers the fish for the spawn, they actually have days where they'll give away a limit of kokanee salmon to you. Just go online uh, at CPW's, CPW's website and look for the information and as long as you have a fishing license and you show up with a cooler, if they have the fish they'll give them to you and take a bunch home and, and uh, you know, and smoke them. They're, they're going to just be thrown away otherwise, so take advantage of that. Cold weather is going to really change uh, things this week. The cool weather coming in, it's going to feel less comfortable for us as humans, but it's really going to trigger fish and animals. This time of the year these weather changes when the water temperatures drop, the air temperatures drop, there's some snow in the mountains. It's going to be incredibly good for hunting and fishing. Put an extra layer on. Get out there. Don't stay home. It's going to be the next few weeks, maybe some of the best fishing of the year. Now, is Mr. Dan Jacobs in the studio? Are you there? I'm here. Are you there? I got a couple quick. Hey, by the way, nice choice on the Beastie Boys. Appreciate that. That's good stuff. <laughs> Well, we're in a new studio. We don't have all my... I know you missed listening to Wickstrom and Dobrith, but... I told him... Back to, I told Dante he should just come back from every break with the Dan Jacobs Show theme song by uh, Wickstrom and Dobrith. Every single yeah, break. I, it's a very popular song, there's no doubt. Yes. Them, and, ta- them and Taylor Swift. It's you know basically a toss-up right now on Spotify. Yeah, I would think so for the number of downloads. Hey, we're going into this game. And we're just a powerhouse of a team, or the Broncos are, not we. Well, breaking news, um, Terry, Russell Wilson is out. Is that for sure? For sure. Adam Schefter just broke it a couple uh, minutes ago. Well, that's one of the things I was going to ask you. Well, a couple things. <clears throat> one is, I, I still don't blame Wilson necessarily for this offense. He hasn't played well in it. And I don't know whether that's his fault. He's trying to put the offense the way he wants it, or this is the coach's fault, and they're trying to put a square peg in a round hole. But he's not meshing. Now, I think he's more talented than Ripien. I think he's a, probably, in the long run, a better quarterback. But Ripien plays on, he plays on time. He plays on schedule. 
and he's he tends to be a very coachable guy. In fact, he'll probably end up being a coach in a few years somewhere. What happens if Ripien goes out and really performs in this offense? Well, Do we have a controversy? Well, first off, the answer is no. But I, what I really appreciate about you and your question is you're a true fisherman through and through. Just like when the fish aren't biting, biting you never take responsibility. Here's Russell Wilson playing terrible after a huge contract, and you're like, I don't blame him. You know, it's just that fisherman in you that's just like, ah, it's not it's not the quarterback's fault. It's, uh, I you know, don't the, know. Yeah. I, well, I didn't say well, I didn't terrible. blame him. I just said I don't know. He's terrible right the now. the offense has been so terrible. We can't run the ball. The offensive line has been awful. They're trying to have he, – he only looks good when he does the things he used to do. So I don't know how much is him. He obviously is not who he was, but I don't know how much is this coaching staff also. Yeah, the coaching staff is bad. That's and Terry. That's the question I most commonly get when I'm out and about. Is is it Russell's fault or Hackett's fault? And I think Zach By had a great answer, which was, "It's both. Uh, I don't have to choose one. You know, it's both of them. They're both bad. And I mean, the, the the coaching is terribly incompetent. But Russell Wilson was sold to us as a guy that could come in and overcome a lot of things and you know lift all the boats. And he's done not, uh, basically none of that. Well, I agree. I mean, it's going to be a tough year. I I see no way this coaching staff is going to salvage their jobs, if not earlier, certainly by the end of the year. And we're going to have to find out if we can find a way to use Wilson. There's too much invested. So I'll let you talk about that. I'm going to have to close this out so they can do a station ID. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Terry. All right. We're going to wrap up Terry Wixom Outdoors. Uh, we're join us every Saturday from nine to eleven, and on once in a while we get shifted over to ESPN. We'll let the Eagles take us to Dan Jacobs in sports on one hundred four three. The fan.